It hasn't shown up yet. There we go. Okay. <clears throat> I looked when he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it was rolled up and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Okay. Uh, so a lot of this language obviously looks very apocalyptic and it is. We're dealing with the last few years of Earth's uh, history under the current age. Uh, but we have to look at this verse as the first bookend. Um, we're going to look at each one of these uh, clauses a little more carefully, but uh, a lot of these events will repeat, but on a greater scale at the coming of Christ. Uh, the temptation would be to clump those together, uh, but I think the text is pretty clear that it's a separate, uh, a separate prophecy than the prophecies that correlate with Christ's second coming. Uh, this is likely still in the first half of the tribulation. It's still near the beginning. Um, we see six unique uh, cosmological events that happen during this seal. Uh, we'll see an earthquake, uh, the blackening of the sun, the moon becoming uh, red, the stars falling to earth, uh, the sky splitting apart, and the mountains and islands being moved from their places. Uh, uh, so first, it is important, uh, there's this uh, little conjunction that, uh, that helps us to interpret this passage, and that's the Greek conjunction hos, uh, which introduces a simile. This will introduce figurative language. Uh, there are six different uh, catastrophes spoken of here, but only four. Uh, have any figurative language in them, we have to take the others literally. Um, the Greek language or the context of the passage allows us to allegorize these judgments. Uh, so these four, which are uh, similes, is sackcloth made of hair for the color of the sun being black, uh, blood for the moon, the, the moon will not turn to blood, but it will turn the color of blood, uh, a fig tree casting its unripe fruit uh, for the stars falling to earth and the sky rolling up like a scroll. It's not actually a scroll, uh, but it will appear to split apart. Uh, so first, the earthquake. Um, again, I mentioned that these are bookends. This is the first earthquake mentioned in, uh, in the book of Revelation, and it's spoken of in other places as well. Uh, in the book of Zechariah, uh, Zechariah states that in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach to Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. So this obviously is not the same earthquake as we're seeing in, uh, 
in Revelation chapter 6. Uh, this is an earthquake, specifically at Jerusalem, uh, that originates at the Mount of Olives. Uh, so this is another earthquake we will see in the book of Revelation, but it's not this one. Uh, we probably best should understand this earthquake as what Jesus is speaking of in Matthew 24. He says, you will be here of wars and rumors of wars. Remember, that's our second seal judgment. Say that you are not frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. So we're also seeing a plurality of earthquakes here, not an earthquake, but uh, Jesus is speaking of multiple earthquakes that will characterize these last years of earth. But all these things are merely the beginning of earth pains. So everything mentioned here doesn't necessarily uh, factor into the very last days of the tribulation period where Jesus Christ will physically return to earth. Um, but these are all going to be in the beginning of the birth pains, which is the first half of the tribulation. Actually, probably not in the entirety of the first half, but a few months or maybe a year or two at the beginning of that first half. There uh, are four earthquakes uh, explicitly mentioned in the book of Revelation. This is the first, uh, and it is a global earthquake. Uh, there's another at the seventh seal, uh, which is going to be just the next seal. We're, we're on the sixth now, and when we get to the seventh, there's another earthquake. These are not the same earthquake. Uh, there's the earthquake in Jerusalem uh, that we saw prophesied in Zechariah. Uh, so that's going to be in chapter 11, verse 19, and that's a local earthquake. And then there will be another local earthquake in Babylon in chapter 16, uh, verses 18 through 19. Now, this last one, although it, it's centered in Babylon and it's local around Babylon, it does seem as if the entire world will be affected. It's likely that this one that focuses on Babylon uh, will be the final earthquake. Um, but in chapter 16, its purpose is to show us specifically the destruction of Babylon. Uh, it may indeed be the global earthquake that will be the worst earthquake to ever strike the earth. Um, if it's not, then there are five earthquakes in Revelation. <laughs> Uh, so here in Revelation 16, 18 through 19, um, it says, And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be on the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nation fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. Um, so we see all of the earthquakes here are associated with God's wrath. Uh, so although they are natural events, in fact, this is probably easiest for us to recognize as God's wrath because we speak of natural phenomena like this as uh, acts of God. Uh, whereas we do have to recognize that all of these are acts of God, whether it be through divine permission or divine impulsion. Uh, Luke also speaks uh, of the event of the Olivet Discourse where Jesus Christ is telling his disciples about the end of the age. Uh, 
but only Luke uh, speaks of the cosmic or the uh, astrological science as well as the signs that are on earth. So in Luke, uh, he records and he said, see to it that you are not misled for many will come in my name saying I am he and the time is here. Do not go after that. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately. Then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes and in various places, plagues and famines, and there will be errors and great signs from heaven. Um, so what we're looking at next are great signs from heaven. Uh, in Ezekiel, he speaks of the day of the Lord, and that's the period of time that we're entering into here in the tribulation. It says, and when I extinguish you, I will cover the heavens and darken their stars. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon will not give its light. All the shining lights in the heavens, I will darken over you and will set darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. Now, these are all originating from divine source, all of these, uh, these judgments. However, just like the first four seals, we see that uh, mankind is allowed to, um, to bring about the wrath of God. They're used as divine instruments of judgment. It is possible that the darkening of the sun and the reddening of the moon has to do with uh, the wars that are raging on Earth. Um, some people have pointed out nuclear warfare here. I think that's a valid possibility um, because we see that the Lord will cover over the sun with a cloud. Uh, I know a lot of us here in the Pacific Northwest in the last couple of years have seen what exactly uh, smoke in the air can do to the sky, turning the moon strange colors and turning the sun strange colors during the day. So whether or not uh, this seal is speaking of nuclear warfare or not, uh, it could be that God just uh, changes the, uh, the chemistry of the sky to darken the sun and change the color of the moon. Uh, but it also, I think, would be a valid possibility that he has allowed men uh, to destroy the earth in this way or to destroy each other in this way. And that will still be from a divine origin, a divine source. It's still wrath of God. Uh, so in Isaiah 50, uh, verse 3, uh, Isaiah says that I clothe the heavens with blackness and make sackcloth their covering. Uh, even the term sackcloth has been used uh, prophetically by God. Um, and this was about 600 years before Christ prophesied uh, that this would happen in 700 years before uh, before uh, John wrote this in the book of Revelation. And sackcloth is, uh, is just a very dark cloth, like a burlap. Um, and it's, it's black cloth. Um, so uh, it, it will be as if uh, a black curtain has gone over the sun. In Joel 2, 30 to 31, um, this is a pretty familiar verse because it's quoted um, by Peter 
in the book of Acts in chapter two, um, but it's not fully fulfilled. In fact, it's only applicationally fulfilled in Acts is fulfilled at the return of Christ. Uh, It says, I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Uh, So again, pretty much no matter which prophet we turn to, this day of the Lord uh, is surrounded by these astrological events. Now, uh, this term stars, uh, where the stars fall to the earth, uh, sometimes people say that uh, we're not quite consistent in our literal interpretation by um, saying that these stars are asteroids, but uh, the Greek language does have quite a wide domain for this word, um, aster. It can mean stars, it can mean shooting stars, meteors, planets, or even supernatural beings. Uh, So with this term stars, it's not speaking of stars in the way that our sun is a star, uh, but stars in the Greek language uh, could also include meteorites or asteroids. Um, So it is likely that um, there will be asteroid showers uh, that particularly characterize the last days. Uh, beginning at this seal. Uh, I mean, we, we get them every once in a while now. Uh, it will be overwhelmingly so many of them um, that it will appear as if the sky is falling. Uh, I think it was back in 1855 or so that there was a, uh, a meteor shower in New England or something where people actually thought the world was ending because there were so many meteors. Uh, just imagine that on a global scale. Um, it will be as if the sky is falling. Okay, Robert Thomas, speaking about this phenomena, says the phenomenon is so large scale that it appears from man's perspective that the stars are falling, when in reality it is probably a very large meteor shower that invades the terrestrial atmosphere. Uh, So this is uh, language that we call phenomenological language, Uh, That means it's spoken of as if it's from man's uh, perspective. Uh, I'm not so sure that this is phenomenological, uh, meaning that it's not what's actually happening. It's just the way it would appear to on earth, because uh, this is being recorded to us from John, who is watching this from the perspective of heaven. Um, So I prefer the... uh, the bit of evidence that Aster includes asteroids rather than it appears that stars are falling. Uh, that being said, Robert Thomas is a Greek scholar, so uh, I don't know if I'm going to argue with him too much. It may be phenomenological, but uh, it appears that John watching this happening from heaven calls these stars. Uh, that to me would indicate um, the lexical use of asteris as asteroids. So in Isaiah 34, 1 to 3, uh, we see God bringing this kind of wrath on the nations. Uh, So Isaiah says, draw near, O nations, to hear and listen, O peoples. Let the earth and all it contains hear, and the world and all that springs from it. 
For the Lord's indignation is against all nations, and his wrath against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to slaughter. So their slain will be thrown out, and their corpses will give off their stench, and the mountains will be drenched with their blood. <coughs> so in Isaiah 34, 4, Isaiah continues, and all the host of heaven will wear away, and the sky will be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts will also wither away, and leaf withers from the vine, or as one withers, uh, from the fig tree. And then Nahum 1.5, uh, he says that mountains quake because of him, the hills dissolve. Indeed, the earth is upheaved by his presence, the world and all the inhabitants in it. Uh, so I believe Nahum is looking forward toward that time where these upheavals will so characterize um, Lord's wrath on the earth. Uh, Mark, are you on? Uh, yep. All right. Can I have you read the last one here? Sure. Thank you. I, I can't see you. Right. Then the king of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains and they said to the mountains and to the rocks fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of the wrath has come and who is able to stand thank you So this is uh, cosmic terror in the hearts of mankind, um, obviously. And John lists seven different classes of mankind um, that are affected. Uh, <clears throat> these seven different people groups uh, include the rulers. Uh, it's the Greek word that, will, uh, that indicates heads of state, uh, particularly of the heathen nations. Uh, governors, which are high-ranking officials, the military commanders, um, and their armies. The Greek word here uh, is particularly uh, military commanders of the thousands. Uh, so it, it's probable that um, John is using the term of one of the higher military commanders. Um, then business. Uh, people with power over commerce, uh, the rich, uh, not to name names, but we can think of people like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos as uh, the kind of people that will be affected by this. Uh, the influencers being the famous, uh, even, even lower level influencer guests, but those who have influence personality over other people. Uh, and what I think this is particularly showing is that these people who usually look huge in eyes uh, will be humbled by the Lord. Uh, but it is not only those leaders of mankind, but also the slaves and the freemen. Uh, now, these are two different classes of people, but the Greek construction unites these two 
um, term so that slave freeman is a single phrase. So it's basically listing five different categories of huge people and then saying the last one and uh, the lay people too, uh, whether or not they are slaves or free. So essentially this judgment will not escape anyone here if it is a global catastrophe. Uh, however, it will be particularly notable uh, that the, the larger personalities on earth will also be humbled by this. Um, and I, I believe this is in response to the fifth seal being opened. Uh, these would be probably the persecutors. Uh, so we are seeing them humbled. Uh, it gives hope to the heart that seeks justice, uh, but also it doesn't escape the reality that uh, even the slaves and the freemen will be affected by the wrath of God. Uh, and their, their punishment will still be just uh, for those uh, did not, not obedient to God's call to faith in his son. Uh, so they will be affected uh, still by these judgments in the last days. Uh, the fact that these men will hide in caves um, has been prophesied as well by Isaiah. He says, men will go into caves of the rocks and into holes of the ground before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. When he arises to make the earth tremble, in that day, and will cast away to the moles and to the bats, their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship, in order to go into the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the hills before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he arises to make the earth tremble. Uh, so they're consistent. Um, uh, another consistent feature of these men escaping to the caves to hide um, is that they're, they're hiding from the presence of the Lord. Uh, so in some fashion, they will be aware of the presence of the Lord. Obviously, they understand at this point that it is God's judgment. Uh, it is possible that the rolling up of the scroll of the sky reveals the heavenly throne room to the earth. Uh, it is not uncommon for scripture to speak of this kind of a phenomenon uh, as the rolling up of the skies like scrolls. Uh, so that is possible. And looking upon their judge, um, they would be particularly uh, fearful. Um, now, this is, uh, this is just a proof text here. Uh, these mountains and islands which are moved. Uh, the, the Greek word here does mean moved, whereas later on in Revelation 16 at the earthquake, which we, we read about uh, Babel in verses uh, see 18 and 19, the following verse here says, and every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Uh, in the final earthquake, the mountains will be leveled and the islands will sink into the sea. That is not the case here in Revelation 6.14. The mountains will shake and the islands will shake. They will move. They'll be affected, uh, but they won't disappear. And that's important because the men who are hiding in caves, it says particularly that they will seek the mountains. Um, so obviously the mountains are still there. Uh, but 
if the mountains are shaking and the islands are shaking, running through the mountains is not necessarily a way to hide for your life, uh, but it is a way to hide from the presence of the Lord. Um, so in Matthew 24, 4 through 8, uh, we see uh, this kind of, um, these kind of cosmological um, or these responses, I guess. And Jesus answered and said to them, see to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and will mislead you. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. We've read quite a bit of this before. Uh, but the point here is in verse 8, that these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Um, so even as we're, we're looking at all of this uh, happening on earth, we are still seeing just the beginning of the wrath of the Lord. And that is what these people understand as they are fleeing for their lives, uh, that uh, there is still more to come. Uh, as I was preparing this, I was thinking uh, about, well, my friend lives in Japan. They live pretty close to um, where the, the tsunami in 2011 hit. And he said it wasn't so much the first earthquake as waiting for the next one to hit because there's always aftershocks. Um, it's probably that sort of terror that is in the hearts of these men that they're fully understanding that what they're experiencing now is not the end of what they will experience. Um, in Matthew 24, 9 to 14, um, Jesus continues and says, then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many because lawlessness is increased. Most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. That saved is the physical saved. The body will be saved. Uh, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we see that there is still plenty left that will happen during this tribulation period before Christ indicates that the end will finally come. Uh, in fact, the uh, events that we're seeing here likely take place before even the midpoint um, of this tribulation. Uh, Christ is speaking of the midpoint here when he says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, stand in, standing in the holy place, uh, let the reader understand, um, Christ indicating that this is the center of that tribulation. This is the beginning of the great tribulation, the day of Jacob's trouble, uh, which is a three and a half year period. Uh, that happens in the last half of the tribulation. He says, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Uh, so we see that the Lord will cut the last days short. Second half of the tribulation uh, will be are worse than the first half. Um, that first half, which we're only part way through um, the judgments for um, here in our text. Uh, 
So in verses 16 and 17, we, we have another prayer, and it is unlike the prayer that we saw already in verse 10, uh, where we have the saints of the martyred, uh, or the martyred saints in heaven. They cry, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Uh, this is a prayer of saints. But uh, here we see the heathen world um, cry out as well. And uh, they say, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Uh, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Um, I think just the juxtaposition of these two verses, seeing the regenerate soul and the unregenerate soul um, crying out um, one to God and the other apparently to the rocks and to the stones, the the unregen or the uh, uh, inanimate objects that can't even hear them. Uh, here's what Ryrie has to say about the presence of the Lamb. Uh, it is most interesting to note that what strikes fear in them will not be so much the physical disturbances in heaven and earth as the sight of God on the throne. Remember, we said the rolling away of the sky might reveal to them the throne room of God, just as it did to the prophets um, in the Old Testament. People will plead to be hidden from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Um, it is likely that the most fearful object they will see is is not the earthquakes the darkening of the sun the moon um, but the judge um, who is uh, initiating all of these judgments on them and larkin in speaking of their prayer says instead of repenting and crying for salvation they will call on the mountains and rocks to bury them from the sight of the almighty we see that they are entrenched in their, uh, in their heathen attitudes. Uh, and this is very much the effect of sin in the heart of mankind. When sin is let to fester, uh, it creates hardness of the heart. Uh, in Genesis 3.8, we see this immediate effect on Adam. Um, he says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, in Genesis 3, 8 here, Adam is perfectly aware of the omnipresence of God. He knows perfectly well he cannot hide from God, but sin entering into his sphere of being has, in his mind, given him the permission to create for himself a reality in which he can hide from God. Um, he has effectively lied to himself that he can hide. Well, mankind is doing the exact same thing. Uh, I'm sure they have uh, complete understanding if they were to reason it through that they cannot hide from the presence of the Almighty, yet they are willing to uh, die so as to, I guess, comfort themselves, lie to themselves that they can escape this coming wrath. Uh, it's not an acceptance of reality, but an escaping from reality um, that sin um, that sin initiates in the heart of man. Uh, so who can stand uh, this phrase? Who will have the capacity to survive what the future holds? 
the question does not refer to standing before God to be judged. It has to do with, the re with remaining on earth and maintaining an existence with the awareness that hardships will worsen as the intensity of God's wrath grows. So they are hiding from God, uh, fearing God's presence in one uh, clause, and in the next, uh, they are fearing for or they are, they are speaking of their hopelessness. The rocks might as well fall on us, not just to hide us, but because what's coming next may well be worse. Um, so both ideas are present, but not in the same statement. Uh, this Greek word orge is wrath, and it means anger, punishment, um, or as it's translated here, wrath. It's the same word used in the, in the Gospels for Christ's righteous anger in throwing up the, uh, the tables of the money changers at the temple when he cleanses the temple. Uh, this is the wrath of God, um, and it is a righteous wrath. Uh, in Romans 1, 18 to 20, we see Paul argue the justification of God's wrath. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, or men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Remember, these men are suppressing even the truth of their inability to hide from God. Uh, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Uh, he continues in justifying this wrath. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. So remember, they are falling on the mountains rather than on God. Uh, they are trusting in the creation rather than in the creator. Uh, in this way, they are storing up wrath. But because of you... Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, indignation. And finally, uh, God does make this division uh, between the godly and the ungodly, and this division will continue even through the tribulation so that we see uh, only those unregenerate uh, men in the tribulation um, will be destined for ultimate doom. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And in our seal five and seal six, we have both categories of people at the forefront of our vision. 
We have the tribulation martyrs who are glorified, honored, and promised peace. Um, and uh, we also have in the sixth seal uh, those who are undergoing tribulation from God, um, which is distress upon their souls um, so that they would seek suicide rather than repentance. So this cosmic convulsion in the sixth seal, the birth pains will end with a cosmic tumult, which will finally bring to mind to all men on earth that the judgment which they're experiencing originates in heaven. This period of time still precedes the great tribulation of Israel. These judgments are many versions of what will continue through the end of the reign of the Antichrist. Uh, so what we've witnessed here in the first six seals uh, is just the beginning of wrath. Uh, we still have the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. Uh, however, we have nearly concluded all of the articles in the title deed of the earth. The last title or the last article in that title deed is the summing up of God's judgment. Uh, that has, uh, has 13 different judgments included within it, though. So uh, we will uh, we'll begin those, actually not for another two or three weeks. I guess we won't be in chapter 8, because we've got chapter 7, which is an interlude. Uh, and we're going to see uh, a revival during the time of the tribulation. Um, and then we will have another foundation study uh, looking at um, the promise that God made to Abraham for an eternal covenant. Um, so then we'll return to chapter 8 three weeks from now and see the seventh seal which opens up uh, the seven trumpet judgments. Uh, just by way of reminder, the interlude in chapter 7 is supposed to encourage the reader. Uh, what we've just read in the text is terrifying and uh, sobering, and John has offered us a ray of hope that not only is God in charge and not only will justice be brought, uh, but even in that time of tribulation, uh, there will be massive revival. Uh, so we will look at that next week. All right, uh, I guess I'll close in prayer and then we can take any questions. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you have seen fit uh, to tell us about your plans for the future. We thank you that uh, though we face injustice on this earth, um, others more so than us, uh, we know that the day of justice is coming. Uh, today we, we pray for the hearts and the souls of those who persecute the church. Uh, but there will come a day when our prayer will turn to cry for justice. Uh, Lord, we pray that you give us hearts willing to, uh, to preach your word, to share uh, the truth of who you are, that you sent your only son, that he died for our sins, uh, and that he is coming again uh, to rescue us and to establish his kingdom on this earth. Uh, we thank you, Lord. We give you all the glory uh, in your name. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. Thanks, Dane. Amen. Yeah. I really. Good.